0: Well, good morning, happy Mother's Day. We're excited and honored that you would join us to worship, and um, I pray today that your heart will be receptive to the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have your copy of God's Word, we'll be in Matthew's Gospel. We're making our way through it slowly, um, and today we're continuing our way, and we come to the twenty-first chapter, verses thirty-three to forty-six, hearing this idea of the rejection and the triumph of Christ—the rejection and triumph. So as you make your way to Matthew chapter 21, uh, maybe these words sound familiar to you. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the what? Fairest of them all. Those are the words of the evil queen in Snow White, right? She continually asks that question, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest? fairest of them all? And she hears back day after day, thou, O queen, are the fairest of them all, until one day a different reply comes back. The question goes back to saying, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? But that day the mirror answers, Snow White, O oh Queen, is the fairest of them all. And immediately a flame is lit. Maybe the reality is the flame has always been there below the surface, but that moment exposes the heart of the evil queen. Immediately she becomes enraged, bitter, right? Looking to find any way she can to get rid of this snow white. Right? Why? Because Snow White is a threat to her rule. Snow White is a threat to her security. And so the evil queen begins to get enraged, and her rebellious heart is revealed as she pursues Snow White. Unfortunately, because of our sinful hearts, we are similar to the evil queen. We want the position of honor, right? We want to be the queen on the throne or the king on the throne. And then the gospel comes in. And the gospel comes in and it says to us that instead of being perfect, we are actually broken. Instead of being in control of life, we're actually enslaved to sin. In fact, the gospel says to us that instead of being in submission to God, we are actually in rebellion. The question is, how does God overcome our rebellion? And the answer Jesus reminds us today is this, it's love. It's love and His sending of the prophets to warn and call the people back, but it's ultimately the love and sending of His only Son to die in our place. The Bible, right, gives us this truth, this hope today, but it also sounds a really clear warning to the religious leaders and to us who are all in rebellion against God. And it's this reminder. It's not the religious who inherit the kingdom, but the humble fruit bearers. It's not the religious who inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's in fact the the humble fruit bearers. Today's story unfolds in maybe three different sections, right? The first section is the parable. Jesus tells another story. He told us one last week and he tells another one this week. And then Jesus gives the interpretation of what does this story mean in light of the Old Testament and who he is. And then finally we see the religious leaders, their response to what Jesus is telling them. So let's walk through it today this the rejection and the triumph of Christ here in the 21st chapter of Matthew. The first truth that jumps out to us is this, God's great love and patience despite our rebellion. God's great love and patience despite your and my rebellion so jesus again has just told a story right it's the 21st chapter if you want to catch up really quickly right jesus entered yesterday in the story the day before sunday on this cult right comes in humbly riding on a donkey he's healing people he's cleansed the temple right now it's monday the next day right he's going to come in he's walking back into the temple they're waiting for him they've already engaged in this conflict about where's his authority come from why does he have this power to do what he's doing right and he's pointed them to john the Baptist. They've refused who John is, ultimately refusing who he is. And now he's telling these stories. And the first story was about two sons. And now he comes to this story and he tells another parable. This one is really clear, right? It leaves little doubt. You're going to see at the end, the religious leaders catch on really quickly to what Jesus is saying here. So if you would, let's just look for a moment to hear Jesus share the story with them and with us. The 33rd verse of Matthew 21 begins this. Hear another parable. Hear another story, right? Parables sometimes often come out as riddles, right? To try to interpret a deeper meaning. What's Jesus saying here? But this one's really clear. Listen to what he says. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Alright, right, so Jesus says, listen, there's this owner of the vineyard who comes in, and listen, what he does is he's going to clear the land. He's going to plant this beautiful vineyard. He's going to put a wine press, right? He's going to build a wall around it. He's done everything he could do to set these people up to do it well. Guess what? For the religious people and for the, the, remember, Jesus is there in the temple. All the people are in for Passover. It's a huge crowd. They would have remembered that this is actually the story of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 5. And in Isaiah chapter 5, guess what? God himself is the one who's planting this vineyard. And the vineyard is actually, according to verse 7 in Isaiah chapter 5, the people of Israel. So they would have known, oh, listen, all right, we know. this is God's the owner of the vineyard, right? The vineyard represents us, the people of Israel, right? God's done everything for it. But the reminder is from that one in Isaiah chapter 5 is that God came looking for a people that were going to produce good fruit, but he actually found sour grapes. And it might be just a reminder in their mind, maybe you've heard before, right? Don't make the same mistake, what? Twice. Like, guys, listen, the people of old missed it. Jesus is saying, don't miss it again. So the story is familiar to them. And and maybe if you remember back when we walked through Isaiah, it sounds familiar to you. But listen to what happens. Verse 34. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servant to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took its servants. Look what it says they did. They beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Sorry, that may have been on the screen. It was, it was often in the Roman Empire, those who were wealthy, right? They were wealthy, and so they purchased lands, and they would often travel off to more exotic places, nicer places, right? And they would leave tenants, right, or farmers in charge of the land while they were gone and when it came time for the fruit they would send people back to get the fruit and maybe they might if they're a long way off they might either send the fruit or they might sell the fruit and send them the proceeds of that money right and so that's clearly what the owner's done right he's, he's long way off he send it to the tenants and guess what the people that show up right he sends his servants right and it's interesting the servants actually represent the prophets right so again jesus story has this layers of meaning and so God's the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard represents the people of Israel. God sends his servants to them to come and get the fruit, right? To, to call the people back. I mean, if you realize about the prophets, right? The, the prophets' response or their, their responsibility was not to come and be like a Debbie downer, right? No offense to Debbies, right? But listen, it was, not, it was not their intent to come and beat the people down. The prophets were coming to say, Guys, look who God is. Look how he's loved us. Our response should be one of obedience and surrender to Him. But instead, they rejected them, they killed them, they stoned them. And again, Jesus is there in the temple, and the people are hearing this, and they're going to remember back prophets like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was beaten on multiple occasions. Jeremiah was thrown down this pit, this well, and forgotten. Jeremiah is stoned to death. They're going to remember that Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, was actually murdered after a sermon. They're going to think back to prophets like Habakkuk and Zechariah who were both stoned to death. In fact, Zechariah was chased into the temple and stoned right near the altar. They're going to remember back that the story goes, the legend is, so to speak, of how the prophet Isaiah died. The story is that they put him in this large log and they literally sawed him in two. They're going to know that the story of the servants is the story of the prophets. And God's people, His own people, had rejected the prophets, just like Jesus is telling this story. I think it's wild, don't you think that it's the tax collectors and the and, and the, the prostitutes are the ones that aren't getting mad at Jesus in fact, they're receiving his word. but who gets upset? It's the religious leaders like if it's those in those who were religious in the Old Testament got mad at god's prophets, if it was those in Jesus day who were religious that got mad at him. Might we begin to think that it stands the reason that people who trust in religion today might find themselves getting angry at God's Word? Might you just ask for a moment, what's your current attitude toward God and His Word? Do you find yourself angry, offended by what God's Word says because it doesn't meet up with your lifestyle or the things that you want to do? The danger is, I think, guys, is that A long history of people who have been offended by what God says are those who are outwardly religious, but inwardly they're bankrupt. So Jesus tells this story in the temple, right? The people who know their history, but here's the catch. They thought it was something in the past. They were too moral, too religious. They would never do that. But here's the irony that's coming. They're going to do something even worse than kill the prophets. They're going to kill God's own son. Listen to what Jesus says next. Again, verse 36, God sends other servants, more prophets, more than the first. But they do the same to them. They they, they kill them. They stone them. Right? They reject them. Finally, verse 37 says, he sent his son to them saying, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, listen to what they said to themselves. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they throw him out of the vineyard and they kill him. Right? I mean, listen, listen to the the mentality of not only rejecting the servants, the prophets. Look what it says they do. Verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Here's what they're going to do. Let us kill him. And what's their reasoning? Why do they want to kill him? What do they want? His inheritance. Right? I mean, the reality is, here's what, here's the heart of the tenants being revealed. The tenants think they are masters and owners. They're rejecting God's owner and authority his, authority, his kingship over them. They're in rebellion. They say, you know what, we're our own kings, we're our own masters, we're our own queens. We don't need you, we don't want you. And so they see this son come and they say, listen guys, the son is the one that's going to get all the inheritance from the father. But here's what the law said. That if there was no son or one to pass the inheritance to, then those who were in possession of the land or the property got all of it. Right? You may have heard in, in law before that, right, possession is nine what? Nine tenths of the law. So they're thinking, listen, if we can just kill the son and get rid of him, and we are already the ones who are working the land, the law will say that we get all of this to ourselves. The religious leaders thought they could receive the inheritance by their works. But the truth is, none of us can receive God's inheritance by works. It is only by faith in the Son. This becomes clear as Jesus now poses this question to them after he tells the story. Listen to the question he asked them in verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What do you think? If you had sent your servants, and they beat them, killed them, or rejected them, and ultimately, after sending servant after servant, you send your very own child, your only child, and they kill them and throw them out. What would you do when you came as the owner of that vineyard? What would you do as the one in power and authority to those who have rejected your son and your servants, who have ultimately rejected your rule and said, we don't want you over us. We want to rule it ourselves. Listen to their own answer from their own lips. Verse 41, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. They give the answer from their own lips. They don't realize it, right? Maybe in the moment, right? Maybe in the moment they're caught up in the emotion of the story, but less than they're declaring from their own lips, we're guilty. Have you come to that place? Are you just acknowledging that you're guilty? That your sin condemns you before a holy and perfect God. Have you come to that truth? I mean, listen. The attitude of these folks reminds me of my kids at times, right? We, we often have these, these these squabbles, these fights that break out, and usually what comes back is this two-word refrain, right? I know it's it's I guess technically three, but nonetheless, right? It's this statement. That's mine. And then there's this just battle over, like, that's mine, I had it first. Like that, I mean, and they begin to just fight and maybe say mean things, try to attack each other. That's mine. Here's the reality, though. The that's mine mentality doesn't stop with just children. Unfortunately, you've probably experienced it. I mean, watch somebody die. And like a grandparent die, and they're last in line. And man, the children, the grandchildren, people show up out of the woodwork. And guess what? Everybody's saying, that inheritance is mine. That land is mine. That property's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. See, we would love to think that that's mine mentality is just for kids, but the reality is we all struggle with that's mine mentality. And that's the mentality, guys, unfortunately, of the religious leaders. That's what they're saying to God. This vineyard's ours. That's mine. I want to rule and reign. I don't need your word. I don't need you in my life. I can do it on my own. I reject your authority over me. See, the religious leaders like us are confused. They think they're owners and not tenants. The truth is, guys, we're all tenants here. There's only one owner and there's one king. There's only one God who is ruler of all I think this parable has to give us maybe a couple of things just to consider for a moment before we hear Jesus kind of explain it to them. I think one is, again, like we just said, that our rebellious hearts are that of the tenants and not the owner. Do you accept the fact today that you're a tenant? Or is that offensive to you? Do you not even like the mentality of thinking that, that you're not ultimately in control, that you're not the ultimate master or ruler, you're not the queen, right, of the fairest of them all? But The fact is that we are guilty even more so, not only of in rebellion against God, that we're guilty of condemning his own son to death. If you consider that for a moment, right? I mean, we like to think that we're religious and we would have done differently. Like if we lived in Jesus day, we would have never done that. Guess what? These religious people thought the same thing. If they had lived when the prophets were there, they wouldn't have rejected it. But the truth is they were rejecting God's own son right then. The reminder is this. Throughout all of history, there's always been a sinful and wicked and fallen heart that we all have. And this story, just by the words of Jesus, reminds us that's a hard pill to swallow. But guys, I think the second truth is that there's good news from that. There's good news because there is a loving and patient God. I mean, think about all that he's done for them in this story. First, he gave them a vineyard. He cleared it out, right? He planted it. He put the tower there. He put the wall around it. He gave them the wine press. I mean, He's done everything. Not only that, I mean, think about how this loving, patient God is. He sends His servants and prophets, and listen, they not only reject one or two or three, and He just keeps sending more. Like, He doesn't call the Calvary in. I mean, He could have, and just cleaned them out, but instead, He just keeps showing love and grace, and then after all of that, God sends his son i mean what a moment of grace and mercy it's god giving them time and time again to repent i think the same is true for us doesn't god send us repeated warnings i mean the truth is maybe this message this morning is a warning to you maybe a warning to you is echoed because someone your age or maybe someone much younger than you has died recently and been buried, and it's a reminder that you won't live forever. Maybe God's warning to you was this morning when you got up, certain things in your body hurt, or you had to grab a handful of pills to make things hopefully work better like they need to. All of those guys are God's alarm clock saying to us, you're not the owner, you're not the owner, you're not the owner, you're not the owner. God is sending you and I repeated warnings. And notice again in this passage, His love I mean, due to our sin, He would be just to condemn them and condemn us and give us no hope. But God continues to love. He is long-suffering. He is patient. Listen, God loves you. Hear that today. These people aren't deserving of that, but that's God's heart. I mean, don't we hear echoes of Romans 5 and 8? But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Despite our sin, God so loved you that He sent His only Son for you. That if you would repent today, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a patient and loving God. Guys, God loves you. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I what? Have you forgot the good news of the amazing grace? Might this story remind you, and might for some of you it call you home for the very first time. To the moms today, as we think about Mother's Day, might this just remind you that you don't have to be perfect to earn God's acceptance? Could you just rest for a moment? You don't have to find God's favor by being a perfect parent. There's only one perfect parent, hallelujah. There's only one perfect parent. Moms, you're never going to do enough. Realize, moms, listen to this. Realize that you are loved by God despite your performance. That's a God to rest in. Secondly, I mean, listen, I'm not a mom, but I've got to recognize when I see them and see spiritual mothers in this place taking care of kiddos and pouring into them and their lives, man, it takes a lot of patience to be a mom. And not that I've ever thought this, but it's possible maybe moms think at times like these kids are driving me crazy, like they're getting my last nerve, right? I can t- usually tell when that happens because it's like the verbiage change, like the pronouns start being to use from our kids to your kids, right? You ever noticed that transition, right? It's like that reminded me of you, right? Um, listen though, I think in the midst of these moments of our impatience, I think it's helpful as moms just to remember God's patience toward us. I mean, if this is how patient God was with religious people, imagine how patient He must be with you as child. So moms, I want to encourage you as you consider this today. Don't beat yourself up. God is patient with you. Let the patience God displays to us compel us to show patience and kindness to our children. So immediately following Jesus' telling of this parable, He now gives the interpretation in verses 42 to 44. And I think this truth jumps out to us. That God's building His kingdom despite our rebellion. God's building His kingdom despite our rebellion. Listen to what Jesus says. Right, they just said, "Listen, he's gonna he's gonna bring those wretches to a miserable death and give out the tenants or give the land to other tenants who'll give him his fruit in and season." And Jesus says to them, "Have you never read in the scriptures?" And he quotes Psalm one eighteen verses twenty two to twenty three. Look what he says: "The stone that the builders rejected has become the what cornerstone." You just sang it this morning. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So listen, here's what you have to understand, all right? So maybe a little bit confusing, verses 42 to 44, a little bit just challenging. And so maybe think, think about it is When it came time to construct a building, right, they would go out into large rock quarries and they would look for stone, like a, key, a keystone, like a, a cornerstone. That they would say, listen, that's the stone in which we're going to take. And, and these walls, when they're going to meet up, we're going to, we're going to level everything on there. It's going to line everything up. Everything's going to rest ultimately on this cornerstone but here's what the psalmist says and here's what Jesus says actually happened. As you walked through the rock quarry, you saw this stone and you rejected it. Said, man, that's not the stone we want. Let's get that one over there. And the rejection of this stone is not just simply walking by it. It speaks of the fact that ultimately they hated it so much that they crucified and killed him. But here's the amazing thing is, as the psalmist says, and Jesus quotes it, that the stone the builders rejected has become the what? cornerstones. And this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. It says the very stone that the people rejected the God they rejected in the flesh. The one they put on the cross. He was buried but God declared that's my cornerstone and by the power of God on the third day he raises his son to life. Saying the stone that you have rejected is actually the cornerstone. It's the foundation for all your and my eternity. Your eternity rests upon your acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ, the only chief cornerstone. What have you done with Him, church? Have you accepted Christ or are you rejecting Him? What will come of this? Listen to this. Verse 43 is harsh. Therefore, listen to this response. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be what, church? That's hard. We're going to come to it again in a little bit. Taken away from you. And then he says what? And given. Given to who? A people producing its fruits. Right? There's obviously language here echoing of what's going to happen to the the people of Israel. Paul talks about that more in the book of Romans. If you want to wrestle with some of that there, Romans 9 through 11, Paul's talking through some of this. But I think maybe asking the question of what's Jesus saying here? that I'm going to take the kingdom of God away from you and give it to a people producing its fruit. I think Jesus is reminding them that, guys, listen, as religious leaders, but also as the Jewish nation, it was your responsibility to show everyone how great I am, to show them that I am the loving, patient God, the God who delivered my people out of Egyptian bondage, the God who parted the seas, the God who gave law to my people that they might truly know how to love their neighbor as their selves. He says, I want you to know that's who I am. But instead, you guys pointed everyone away from me and you pointed to the law because you thought when you pointed to the law, you ultimately were pointing to yourself. And said, if you want to get into heaven, you've got to be like me. And the Bible says, no, to get into heaven, you must be perfect. Therefore, you must be like Jesus. And everyone then knows, well, I'm not like him. And the Bible says, you're right, you're guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you would look upon the Son, His perfect life is credited unto you. And so he says, I want you to know I'm taking the kingdom of God away from you and I'm giving it to a people that are going to produce its fruit. This is God's marvelous grace. He's doing exactly what he said back in verse 32 of this very text here in Matthew 21. He says, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going in the kingdom of God before you. The kingdom has now be given to all those who repent and believe upon the Son, despite ethnicity, despite your background, despite where you've grown up, or if you don't know anything about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, you don't even know who Moses is today. You couldn't say which book of the Bible begins. The Bible says, Whosoever will may come. What an invitation. And notice what God's after. He says he's going to take away the kingdom of God from you because you refuse to repent and believe upon his son, and he's going to give it to a people producing its fruit. God, is, what's Jesus saying? He's going to take people like us. People like, as Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 6, the sexually immoral, the adulterers, liars, thieves, homosexuals, greedy, He's going to take us and He's going to transform our hearts. The Bible says that He is going to justify us, declare us innocent in His sight by faith in His Son. He's going to wash us as white as snow and He's going to give us His Holy Spirit to transform the way that we live so that we now become people whose lives are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as you look at your life do you see that fruit being produced by the power of the holy spirit jesus says i'm giving the, my kingdom the kingdom of god is taken away from you and it's given to people you would never expect it reminds us guys that nobody here is too dirty none of you have messed up too much no one here is too far gone god can transform anyone I mean, consider the fruit and the vine from John 15, where Jesus says that he's the vine and we are the branches. Might I ask a question? What comes first, the vine or the fruit? The vine does. Right? The vine comes first and it produces the fruit. Abiding in the vine is our call. It's God's responsibility, the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit. Guys, what I'm saying is this. Life change always occurs from the inside out. Religion wants to say that life change happens from the outside in. That's not what the gospel is teaching us. The truth is, listen, we need to be warned. This is no Disney movie. This is no fairy tale. Every one of us today must realize this, that you and I will face the cornerstone. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 44. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Kind of a challenging text. Um, the fact is, it first says, and the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Maybe that's the echoes of Isaiah 8. And the people there were trying to almost avoid God or like sidestep him, get away from him. <clears throat> and he says, listen, man, it, it's there's, there's no escaping God, right? You can't run and hide. Like the psalmist says, like if, if I made my, my bed in the depths of the sea, you were there. If I'm on the highest mountain or I'm in the lowest valley, you can't play hide and seek from God. He knows where you are today. He says, listen, if you try to run away from him, you will find yourself stumbling on this stone. You must wrestle with who Jesus Christ is. Why did God send his son? What must that say about your my rebellion in our hearts? What must that say about eternity and the judgment that is to come? And ultimately, what must it say about the love of our God? But secondly, look what Paul or Jesus says here. He says, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Most likely, he's echoing here the truth of Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel 2, there's Daniel's this prophet. He has these visions of different kingdoms that are come, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans. And he says, right, I mean, this, this statement that empires rise and empires what? Fall. And he says, there's this imagery of this great empire, this great kingdom standing there, and out of nowhere comes this major stone, and it literally crushes and annihilates the kings and of that kingdom. And Jesus is saying to us, I want you to know that that great stone who crushes all the kings and kingdoms is me. I am the stone. There's no escaping me, right? It's a reminder of God. He's going to produce and accomplish His plan. Right? I mean, we might hear the truth of Hebrews 9 and 27 that says that you and I are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Guys, there's no escaping it. Remember, the religious will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's the humble fruit bearers. Today I compel you to bow your knee in repentance, receiving Him in joy. For there will come a day for those who have rejected Him who will bow in submission despite their rebellion to the great King of kings and Lord of lords. Matthew finally closes out this section by showing us the response of these religious leaders. And it reminds us this truth, that God is accomplishing His plan despite our rebellion. God's accomplishing his plan despite our rebellion. Listen to the final two verses here in Matthew 21. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They're like, whoa, he's talking about us. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Isn't that sad? I mean, wouldn't we love to read the fact there that those people heard this truth and they they were cut to the heart, like it says in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. They're like, God, forgive us. That's us! We're in rebellion against the prophets! We've rejected John! Now we're rejecting you! Oh God, have mercy on us. We don't want to be crushed! But instead, man, it just fillets open their hearts and the rebellion flames out. And it says to all of us, it's Monday of the final week of Jesus' life, but Friday's coming. The anger, the hostility. We shared the story of Snow White as we began, and at the beginning, I think it's interesting the story unfolds as the wicked queen she finds out that snow white's still alive and right she disguises herself to get snow white to come and eat this this poisonous fruit right that she might die and only could be awakened by true love's kiss spoiler alert that happens right but in some ways i think it reminds us of the parable here the religious leaders think they're getting back control by killing god's son but the truth is what they are actually doing is bringing about god's marvelous plan of having a son die on the cross in our place, be buried, and on the third day God could raise a son from the dead, declaring he has the victory, he is the cornerstone. We might say to ourselves today, God's accomplishing his plan despite our rebellion. Hallelujah. Church, we have to understand that what Jesus did, Prince Charming could never do. Right? It's easy to be the hero, the guy walking in, give the big kiss, right? But Jesus is so much greater than that because He doesn't come and give the kiss. He comes and takes the apple out of your hand and says, don't eat that! Let me eat it for you. He tastes death and the judgment of God on your behalf. But beloved, listen, He is greater than Prince Charming because He Himself dies in our place and is raised again. Ladies! Ladies! One day maybe you hope that you are married or maybe you hope one day that you might become a mother. I want you to know that's the Prince Charming to seek. Seek Him and trust the Lord to bring whatever man He so wills into your life. That's the one. Might this story remind us here as this rebellion of the religious leaders to refuse Jesus? Might it call out to our college age and high schoolers and middle schoolers, maybe even younger children to say, on this Mother's Day, do you find yourself in rebellion against your mother? Do you find yourself in rebellion against your father? Do you find God's put that authority in your life? Do you find yourself in rebellion against teachers and coaches and everybody else that comes in your life that disagrees with what you think because after all, you feel like you're the owner. This house is yours. That vehicle's yours. Everything is yours. And if anybody sidesteps or comes into that lane, you go full out against them. I want to say it softly but guys that's the heart of the rebellious religious leaders i want to ask our young folks are you in submission to the authority god's put in your life to the unbeliever today could i ask this are you believing a lie are you believing the disney fairy tale that in the end all dogs go to heaven that everybody ultimately ends up there jesus himself says in verse 40 that there's going to come a day when the owner of the vineyard is going to come back again. And there's going to be no escaping him. There's no hiding from him. Guys, judgment's coming. And listen, the only way to escape that judgment is to acknowledge today that you are not the owner but the tenant and you are in rebellion and come and surrender your life to him, accepting his great and marvelous grace and love. Listen, guys, think about how patient he has been with you all of my sin and rebellion against God, all of your sin and rebellion against God, and yet you're still here today hearing this blessed and only gospel. There's still hope. Today is the day of salvation. Now is your time. To the church this morning, might we ask, are we following the example of God? How does God deal with His enemies? By showing such great restraint and self-control and love. God's great love and patience is the only thing that's going to transform a sinful and rebellious heart. I want to ask today, who have you given up on? Who have you decided maybe you'll never talk to them or speak to them? You see them, you turn your head, right? you ignore them. Just God's example of going again... Listen, we asked in Sunday school this morning and one of my Haydens gave the answer. I said, who was the first missionary in the Bible? And he said, God. I said, that's exactly right. Guys... Do you reflect your God by going and seeking reconciliation to those who have wronged and hurt you? I know that, I know, listen, I there's there's much to it. It's, it's, there's a multi layers to it. So I'm not saying dismiss things that have happened, but guys, we must seek reconciliation because that's who our God is. And after all, if we're believers, we say he indwells us. So should we not bear that fruit? Might we ask the church today that In light of Jesus saying, therefore, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Might we need to ask the question, could that ever be true of us? Paul warns of that very thing in Romans, actually, to the Gentiles. Might we need to ask today, would God ever do that to us? Would God ever, right, take away the kingdom, the blessing here to our country? Might God ever take it away from our denomination? Might we need to ask today, would God ever take it away from our church? Might you need to ask today, would God ever take it away from your family? You see, the decision to accept or reject Jesus Christ is always personal, but beloved, it always impacts others. Your decision today to receive and be obedient and humbly submit to Christ impacts not only you but this church and your family for generations to come hear the warning of christ church in light of mother's day might we ask moms as we close today do you have a rebellious child or grandchild maybe your children are at odds with one another maybe there's division in your family how are you going to seek reconciliation maybe today it's time to bring them together and have that conversation as that matriarch of that family talking to them, pointing them unto Christ. Might we all today remember this truth as we walk away today hearing Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the name of Christ our King. We pray in this place, on behalf of Christ, that everyone here would be reconciled to God. And we pray that healing would begin to flow out to relationships and friendships and families and this community and ultimately to the nations. Father, let us follow your example, your missionary heart of being patient and long suffering, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.